Well, good morning and welcome to Bridgewater. So awesome to see all of you. If I've not gotten a chance to meet you, my name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. We are really excited that you're here with us because we are in week three of this series called This Is Us. And we've been talking about what makes Bridgewater Bridgewater. We're walking through our different values. And so this is an awesome Sunday to be here. You know, I remember when I was a kid, I was probably about 10. My dad took me fishing to the beach. And uh, for those of you who don't know, I grew up in Florida, so we drive to the beach. And uh, it's early in the morning. My dad's got everything all set up. Got the poles out, got the lures, got the whole tackle box, like everything. And you look down the shore and you see other guys, right? They got their poles all set up. They got their tackle boxes and they're ready. I mean, this is like a serious fisherman's club. And my dad's got me, and I have no interest at, in fishing at all. I, I'm sorry. If you're a fisherman, please, I apologize, but I just feel like fishing is super boring. And at 10, I just want to do something. And so staring at a pole, staring at the water, waiting, hoping for a fish to eventually do something, I, I just wasn't in it. And so for some reason, my dad allowed me to bring my slingshot. And I'm like the original Dennis the Menace here. And, and I go, Dad, can I go shoot the slingshot while you fish? He's like, sure. So he's got his pole. He's casting it. He's doing his thing. And there I am. I'm digging into my dad's fishing weights. And I'm just like, boom, firing off, right? And all of a sudden, I have this great idea. I'm like, hey, I wonder if I could hit a bird. And so, whoa, whoa. I'm 10. Stop judging me, okay? Dig into my dad's fishing weights, firing at birds and missing, okay? Aiming, missing. I have no idea what I'm doing. And here comes this little bird walking across the sand, grab another fishing weight, pull it back, fire, and the weight flies out of the slingshot, wham, right in the head. He drops down. He is done. I know. And my dad is horrified. He's like, what did you do? I'm like, but dad, you said I could shoot the slingshot. He's like, but I didn't think you would actually hit anything. <laughs> and my dad is horrified. He's like, that was probably like an endangered bird. And I'm like, dad, there's like a million of them. And he's, he's freaking out. He starts kicking the bird into the water. I have no idea why. And the water brings the bird back onto the shore. So he goes further down, kicks it in more, and it comes back down. Eventually, he just packs everything up, and he's like, let's go. And he never took me fishing again. <laughs> I have no idea why. But, you know, in the very same breath, Jesus has this group of men and they are following him, and, and they, we call them the disciples. And these guys were real fishermen. And they were trained to catch fish. This is what they did for a living. And he goes to them, and he says, hey, I know you know how to catch fish. Come follow me. I want to train you. I want to teach you how to catch men. So follow me. And, and he's not doing this to keep a tally of, of who got saved or who didn't get saved or who went to church or who didn't come to church. But, but Jesus knows in all of humanity, there is a group of people who long to be loved, seen, heard, and valued by the creator. And he says, come, follow me. 
because I want you to be a bright light in this town, in this community, so that people will follow you. And in doing so, they'll come to know who the Savior is. And he's not about building a bigger church or camping out in a bigger building. He's about being a bright light in the community so that when people follow you, when they follow me, they eventually find, who out, find out who Jesus is. And that's what Jesus is really all about. And so what does that look like? What does it look like for you and for me to really be a fisher of men or a fisher of women? How do we do that? Well, if you have your Bibles, let's go to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, while you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of the background. You see, Jesus has been leading and teaching, and people are starting to follow him. And they're getting excited, and the crowd is getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and it's drawing attention from the Pharisees and the religious leaders and the Sadducees. And Jesus knows that his group is getting bigger, and he knows he's getting their attention, and he doesn't really want their attention right now. And so what he does is he kind of draws back a little bit, and he says, hey, guys, let's take a little bit of a break. Let's go to Galilee. So that's the context here. John chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, we have it on the screen. But here we are, verse 1. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea, Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. So here we are. Jesus has made this journey, and uh, let me show you where they are. Here's, here's a map of Israel, and they're in Judea, and he wants to go to Galilee. So there's a couple ways. Some, some people think, well, he, they probably would have gone around. That would have been the correct way. And so because they, they hated the Samaritans, like there was this huge animosity going on between the Jews and the Samaritans. They did not like them. And so a lot of people think, well, they probably went around because they hated the Samaritans so much. And so Jesus had to go through Samaria, right? He chose to go through there. Other people think, and I agree with this, that he, they would have taken the shorter route. And it just would have been like, you know what? We kind of have to go through there. We don't want to. It's like you're traveling from here and you have to drive through New York City. You're like, I really don't want to, but I have to. And that's where they find themselves. However you slice it, Jesus is incredibly intentional about where he's going, how he's getting there, and the rest stop along the way because he has this divine appointment with one person. And that one person is so incredibly valuable that he has to stop here. And he wants his disciples to go with him to see what does it really look like? What does it really mean to be a fisher of people? To go out and help people. And so here we are. They're out there doing their thing. They take a stop, and they've been walking for approximately three days. 
So they're tired. So Jesus finds this well, takes a seat. He just wants to rest a little bit. Notice what happens next in verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? And right at that moment, the disciples leave to go get some lunch because they're all tired, they're all hungry. Jump down to verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. One thing you need to know is that women typically did not come alone. They typically would travel in groups. It was safer that way. Secondly, they would come to draw water in the early hours of the morning, 5, 6 a.m., because the sun isn't up yet. It's not super hot. And so if you got a like, truck, a bucket of water from the well to your house, do you want to do it in the cool morning or the blazing hot sun? I'm going for the cool morning. And so it's really peculiar that this woman is traveling by herself and she is there at noon. And so the, the, the original reader would go, wait, huh, what's going on here? Something has happened in this lady's life. She doesn't want to be there and be seen. It's kind of like all of a sudden you realize you, you have like a recipe you're making and you need, you need like three eggs and you've only got two eggs. So you got to hurry up and just like run to the, the grocery store or the gas station to get some eggs. You're hoping you run into nobody. You're still wearing your pajamas, your sweats, your, your hair is a mess if you have any. And you're just like, I don't want anybody to see me. I just want to run in and do this thing. That's her. She's trying not to be seen. She's trying to hide because she has something going on in her life and in her past, and she's embarrassed. So she goes when nobody else would be there, and she goes there all on her own. And so Jesus runs into her, and he begins this conversation. Now, stricter Jews wouldn't even touch another bucket or utensil or plate that a Samaritan was using. And Jesus says, hey, can I have some water? Which he's totally breaking all of the rules. And this, this lady already has two strikes against her. One, she's a woman, and so Jews would not talk. Men would not talk to women in public, let alone Jews talking to Samaritans. That's the second strike. She's a Samaritan woman, and she probably has a shady past. And so there we are. They have this animosity, and Jesus breaks the stereotype. He breaks through the culture. And notice what happens next. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is so deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gives us or who gave us the well and drank from it himself and did also his sons and livestock? Right? Your shock, lady, your shock would be infinitely greater if you really knew who I was. If you really knew who was asking for the water. In fact, if you really knew who I was, if you really knew what I could do, you'd be asking me for water. And Jesus 
engages in this conversation, and she's curious. Who's this guy? What is this gift of God? And what on earth is living water? And now she's curious, and Jesus answers, verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He's interacting with this woman that nobody else wanted anything to do with. And he's teaching his disciples that people matter to God. He's teaching them Hey, it doesn't matter what's going on with this lady. It doesn't matter who she is. It doesn't matter her background, her social status, what race she is. She matters to God. She's valuable. She's precious. Guys, we're going fishing. It's not for fish. We're going to help people take a step towards the creator of the universe. And in order to do that, we've got to lay aside all the stereotypes we got to lay aside all the things that we think we see, and we simply just got to reach out and see them for who they really are. And so if you and I, if we want to reach people who are far from God, we need to see them as Jesus sees them. So that's number one. We need to see them as Jesus, as God really sees them. And just think about it. Think about the people in your life, the people in your neighborhood, people in your office, people that you're related to, people at the gym, the people at the grocery store that, that you see. And so many times we see them and we just see their problems, their issues, their mistakes, their failures. And they look like they're a mess. And we're just like, ah, I don't know if I want anything to do with that. But here's the reality. They're not so different from you and me. Because they're people, and inside that shell of a person is a soul with hopes, dreams, wishes, and fears, just like you and me. And they've got things going on in their lives, and yeah, they might look like they are a mess. They might look like everything has gone sideways, and maybe it has. But what if we begin to see past all that and go, hmm, I wonder what's going on inside that person their life might be a total wreck, and Jesus looks through all of that. This entire humanity is looking for and longing to be loved and seen and known by the Creator. And it's only when we begin to see people the way that Jesus sees them that we will be able to reach them. That's exactly what Jesus does. Notice what happens next. He says something that really sparks an interest. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband what you have just said is quite true. Man, that's crazy, right? I mean, there Jesus is talking with this woman, talking about living water, talking about eternal life. Like you're just like, 
you're, you're eavesdropping in on this conversation. Maybe it's the conversation is happening at the, at the booth next to you or behind you as you're eating lunch or you're having breakfast and you're hearing somebody from church share the gospel and they're like, yes, I want that. And you're like, oh my word, I can't believe this is happening. And Jesus goes, where's your husband? You're like, what? And Jesus keeps pulling on this. You're right, you don't have a husband. You've had five. And the guy you're living with now, he's not your husband with now. And you're like, what are you doing? Like she was ready to like pray and ask you to be the forgiver of her life and the leader of her life. Like we were gonna like celebrate her with a carnation next week. And you just like poked in her chest, man. Just like this thing that's going on in your life. If I'm honest, it kind of seems like a jerk move, right? Jesus isn't being a jerk here. What's he doing? Right? Here, here's the flow of the conversation, right? Go get your husband. I don't have a husband. You're right. You've had five. Now the one guy you're living with, he's not your husband either. I want to meet the man you're living with. Because somehow, this lady has gone from marriage to marriage to marriage to marriage, from man to man to man to man. I don't know if they've gotten divorced. I don't know if somehow, like, the other guys just kind of, like, died. <laughs> and the other guys, like, dude, I don't know about that. I saw your other guys. They all mysterious, mysteriously passed away. I don't want to do that. But somehow, this lady needs to be in a relationship. This lady needs to feel whole, and, and, and by doing that, she needs to have a man in her life. And Jesus is going into the heart of her, saying, let's get it all out on a table. You don't need to clean up your life to come to me. You don't need to fix everything. I want you to be all in. You need a relationship. You need a man to feel whole. You need a marriage to feel whole. You need this status to feel whole. Jesus is going into her life and saying, I can make you whole. And this is where we are. Because Jesus died for you, he died for me, while we were at our worst. He never once said, clean up your life and follow me. He never said, get, get, get even the very last 1% of your life straightened out and then follow me. He says, where you are right now, no matter what's happening, come and follow me. And that's what I think he's doing with this woman. Because touching a wound hurts. But a doctor or a nurse needs to touch the wound in order to bring healing to it. And Jesus is doing just that. I think he's also suggesting, hey, I know everything about you. Your deepest secrets, all of the skeletons in your closet, and I value you. That's who Jesus is. This is a woman with a shameful past, right? So strike one, she's a woman. Strike two, she's a Samaritan. Strike three, she's a woman with a shady past going from guy to guy to guy. And Jesus says, I value you. I want you to follow me. I want you to be a disciple. They continue to talk. Verse 27, take a look at what happens next. Just then his disciples returned, right? They went on a, a lunch trip. They come back. They return and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Why are you talking with her? 
Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. This is incredible. She leaves the jar, right? She came there to get water. And she runs back to the town. She runs back to the very people that she was hiding from. And she is passionate to tell these people about Jesus. If I could sum up what she is doing, it's this. Found people, find people. That's it. And Jesus has just radically transformed her life. She knows it. She's experienced it. And she's like, you have to meet this guy. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. We've been talking about it. We've been waiting for it. And he is here. And guys, he knew everything about me. And he loves me. He accepts me. And he wants you to come and to see what this is all about. This is incredible interaction with Jesus. His disciples see. They're watching him. They're watching and they're seeing people matter. People matter. We have to go fishing, not just for lunch, not for breakfast, but for people. Because people who are far from God, they matter. Take a look what happens next, verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. He said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. They're like, then why did we go for a lunch run? He says, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes. Look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows, another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Jesus says, I have food. I've been doing the Father's will. See, food drives us. Food sustains us. Food is fuel for your body. And Jesus says, I've been feasting on God's will. I've been out fishing for people, and it just drives me. If you've ever had a spiritual conversation with an unbeliever, you walk away from that, you're like, yes! If you've ever had the privilege to share the gospel with somebody, and that person responds and says, I want to follow Jesus. You walk away from that, and you're like, yes! I could run through that wall like the Kool-Aid man. It's incredible. It's so scary. It feels like you're taking this giant risk to share with somebody. And this is what Jesus has been doing. He says, we've got to look, guys. Look all around you. Look up. Look around. Look over here. Look over there. Because there are opportunities all over the place. So if we're going to reach people who are far from God, we need to listen for and act on open opportunities, open door opportunities. They're at work, 
they're at school, they're in the office, they're at the gym, they're in your home. That we look for those opportunities. And sometimes they're just these split-second opportunities. They're there, they're gone. And you kind of kind of like shove your foot in the door really, really quick, not even knowing what you're going to say, not even knowing what you're going to ask, but you just kind of like get your foot in the door and you just say something. And then for a moment, it kind of slows down the conversation. And it might just be for 30 seconds or a minute where you begin to talk about the gospel, you begin to talk about Jesus, you begin to talk about what it is that you believe in. It might just go away and that's okay. That's all right. But what if we listen for and then we acted on those open door opportunities and we made the most of them because that's exactly what Jesus is doing. It may come down to a friend sitting in your office or sitting in your living room and you don't have time to invite them to church. You don't have time to invite them to, to open house, but you need to share the gospel right then and there because they are primed and ready to give their life to Jesus. And we've got to begin looking for those opportunities. We've got to begin acting upon those opportunities. You know, I, I, I coach CrossFit on Thursday mornings, not because I love CrossFit, although I do, but it's an incredible opportunity to get into other people's lives. That every Thursday morning, I have a small group of unbelievers who pay to come work out, and I help them move better, feel better, reach their goals, and I do it in a class environment, and I'm working hard at becoming a better coach because when I can help them change some of the physical things in their life, they go, hey, Tim really cares about me. Tim kind of knows what he's doing. He helped me move better. He helped me reach some goals. He helped me lift better. I didn't get hurt doing it. And now I have a relational capital. I have relational influence in their life. And when I say, hey, how's things going at work? They go, not so good. And they can tell me. And when I say, hey, I don't know if you've ever been to church or not, but we have this thing going on. It's called open house. There's going to be free chicken. It's going to be awesome. Come sit with me. It's going to be awesome. We've got to be a little bit better at whatever it is that we do at work. Whether you drive a truck or you crunch numbers, or you put reports together, or you deliver for a company. Be a little bit better at that skill so that we can help our coworkers, our bosses, say, hey, can I help you do a little bit better? Add value. So now I have relational currency with those people to invest in their life. We've got to cross over into their world so we can talk about church things and the real world. But take a look at what happens next. Verse 39. This is incredible. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. So they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Next verse. They've seen that Jesus really is the savior of the world. 
Many believed because they heard this woman's testimony. Many more believed because they came and they talked to Jesus. He radically transformed their lives. This is incredible. And so I recognize when you talk to people about Jesus, it's a big risk. You feel a little nervous. I feel scared. What are they going to think of me afterwards? Are they going to want to be my friend anymore? Are they going to think I'm a weirdo? What if they ask me a question I don't know the answer to? Those are real fears. So when do you know it's worth taking the risk? I want to share with you what Andy Stanley calls the three knots, okay? There's, there's three cues, right? You're in a conversation, and you're talking with somebody, and, and they say they're not in church. You say, oh, no way. You should come to church with me, but not just come to church with me. You should come. Come sit right here with me. I have a seat. I'm saving a seat for you, right? You're not in church. Maybe you're new here. Maybe you're new to town. Come sit with me. Or maybe... Maybe things aren't going well. You're talking to them, and in the conversation, you find out, they say, hey, things are not really going well. Things at work are not going well. I'm, I'm trying to, to deal with things with, with my kids. It's just not going well. Things with my marriage, me and my, my wife, me and my, my husband, they're not going well. Hey, come to Bridgewater. Come sit with me. Or, hey, I wasn't really prepared for that. I'm not prepared for that. The, the divorce right now, I wasn't prepared for that. That new health diagnosis, I'm not prepared for that. I got laid off, I wasn't prepared for that. Hey, come to, come to Bridgewater. Come sit with me. I would love to have you come with me. So that's what we say. We don't have to say come to church, just come, come sit with me. I'm saving a seat for you. I'll meet you in the parking lot. We can drive together. We'll walk in together. Come sit with me. So here's, here's the pitch, all right? I didn't really have a better phrasing for this, but you're talking to them and you recognize, hey, life is complicated. I get it. Work is so complicated. Parenting is complicated. Marriage is complicated. Dealing with your kids or your parents, it's complicated. I get it. You want to get it right. I want to get it right. We want to help. We might not have all the answers. I might not have all the answers. Come sit with me. And so as you're in that conversation and you're looking for those open doors, listen for those three knots. Okay? I'm not in church. Things are not going well. I'm not prepared. And then as you're in that conversation, invite them to come sit with you and let them know. Life is complicated. You're right. It's a mess. You want to get it right. I want to get it right. I, we're trying to figure this out. We want to help. So I, I made something for you. I made these little keychains. One has a little loop on it. One has a little clasp. And they have three knots. Simply a reminder. You can latch this one on your purse. Ladies, Keith. On your guitar. You thought I was going to say purse. Your guitar. Or you can put your keys on this one. But this is simply a reminder. It has three knots to remind you of 
when you're in a conversation to look for opportunities. I'm not in church. Things are not going well. I'm not prepared for that. That if we go out and we look for those opportunities or make those opportunities, imagine what could happen in our community. If, if Broome County was the hardest place for people to get to hell from because you and I were so passionate about reaching people who were far from Jesus. And last, if you don't have one of these cards, these pray, invest, invite cards, grab one of these, write a name, write three names down that will be a reminder for you to pray for people who are far from Jesus. So on your way out, we have these. Just grab one and let it be a reminder that found people find people. Let me pray with you. God, you are incredible. It's amazing that you did a, a great work in this woman's life. It was unexpected. God, you did a great work in our life too. And we know that you have surrounded us with people who don't know you, who don't live for you, who, who want nothing to do with you. And yet you have called us to be fishers of men, fishers of women, to go out into the world, into the community, into our, our sphere of influence and share the love of Jesus with those people. So I ask that you would help us to be courageous and bold this week to see people the way that you see them and to take advantage of those opportunities to talk to people about who you are. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. So here's the funny thing. This week I'm taking my wife and my two youngest with me to do something I really, really enjoy up north. I'm going fishing.